I wish we could have heard all that. That sounded funny. Good morning, all you beautiful people. Some more beautiful than others. <coughs> Just saying. Like, Andrew, could you stand up for me for a second? This is like unbelievable. Look at this acid wash denim. That is so classic. I mean, that is just unbelievable. It's almost, almost like 80s, you know, Sunday instead of neon denim. I, Zach and Jackie have the, the uh, uh, Pac-Man going on. It's like totally takes me back uh, to those good old days, right, of playing Pac-Man, wearing your acid wash jeans, playing Pac-Man. Those were the days. Those were the good old days. Speaking of greatest hits, there's some good old greatest hits in our scripture. We're in the middle of a series in, in the middle of our Bible, uh, the book of Psalms. And uh, there are some really great hits in the book of Psalms. The one we're going to look at today is very short, but it's very impactful. It's very short, but it's very tall as far as it's... Um, is the phrase a tall order? Does that make sense? Is that, is that a phrase? When you have a tall order, does that mean it's pretty difficult to make it to? Yeah? Okay. Today we're talking about raising the bar. This short little passage of scripture in Psalm 15 raises the bar. As we saw in our discussion groups, there's several other parallel passages of scripture. In fact, one of them is in the book of James. We've been studying the book of James. And reminder, Cade still wants a little... What is it? Four by six card? Is that what you handed out? Yeah. Five by seven, four by six, something like that. Little card. He wants your the verse that stood out to you on the front, and he wants what it means to you on the back. Is there still some? Cody, is there still some five by seven or four by six cards back there? Blank ones? No cards? Is there? Oh, yeah, he found them. So, so if you haven't done that yet, make sure you get back there. Read through the book of James. We'll have time while we're eating lunch. Read through the book of James chapter 5. Pick out your favorite verse and write on the back of that uh, why it's your favorite verse and why it stood out to you. Um, that'd be good. So, but anyway, the book of James is kind of parallel to our Psalm 15 passage that we're going to go through today. Dad mentioned our new baby in our midst, baby Joe back there. He's uh, a babe in Christ. He was born again yesterday, so he's only a day old. So be nice to Joe today. These are the greatest hits. I've, I've titled this message, Raise the Bar. Um, you can see on the front of your bulletin, uh, a dude trying to jump over the high bar, the, the high jump bar. Anybody ever tried high jump before? Everybody ever tried it? It is, it is absolutely, it's super fun. I love landing in the, in the high jump pits and the high jump mats. Those are really fun. We used to stack them up on top of each other and jump off the back of the bleachers into them. That was really fun. Do backflips and all kinds of fun stuff. But I'm actually going over that bar. It's super stressful. And um, you know you can jump. Uh, I used to have a good friend that would be, could jump like six foot two, six foot three, um, high jump bar. And he would always start real low and then work up to that. And it's interesting in our lives, I think we, we have a tendency to lower the bar just so that we can make it over it. But all throughout Scripture we find that God is constantly raising the bar. He's raising the bar so that, not so that we can look stupid when we fail, but because he wants the best out of us. 
He wants to raise those expectations so that we will strive to be the best that we can be. With a world of compromise and trying to see how much we can get away with, the religious world, most churches now being all about compromise. Tolerance is a word you hear constantly. Wanting everyone to be accepted exactly the way they are for all of eternity, right? With many individuals allowing themselves whatever pleasure they desire because it makes them happy. Raising the bar sounds like a lot of work. But consider the alternative. Lowering the bar doesn't sound very much fun, right? What fun is that? Compromising away our faith doesn't help anyone. So I want us to look at Psalms chapter 15. And as you can tell, we've got a little bit of different presentation thing going on this morning. And um, as you uh, figure it out, as you uh, trail along, we're just testing it out for a couple weeks and see if we like it. Um, But once we get it rolling, you can actually pull up the, the slide presentation and the things that are going on in the service. You'll be able to pull them up on your phone. And this little signal in the bottom right corner here, you see that little signal? Anytime there's that little signal, you can click on that signal and it'll pop up on your app right there on your phone. Okay, you can just touch it and it'll pop up. So as we get, as we get it rolling, that will be uh, available. And so if you see those little things, um, that's, what they're, that's what they're about. So let's read uh, Psalm chapter 15. It's all of, all of five verses. Can you, you think we can handle that? Yep. All right, let's look at it together. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Verse 2, those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Verse 4, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people will stand firm forever. Wow. That kind of raises the bar, doesn't he? This psalm reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember where Jesus took some of the Old Testament laws and brought them into the New Testament? In Matthew chapter 5, we find several cases where he brings in the Old Testament laws. And then he kind of ups the ante. He kind of brings them up to, he raises the bar. He makes them even a little bit more difficult. He says, it was wrong to, in the Old Testament, commit adultery. And Jesus says, no, I say it's wrong to even look at a woman lustfully in your heart. He says, the Old Testament said, you're not allowed to to murder. I'm going to up it just a little bit. I'm going to raise the bar, Jesus says, and I'm going to say, even if you are angry and hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. All throughout Scripture, we we find this happening. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, look at this one with me. It says, but you are to be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect. I don't know about you, but that bar is too high for me. Be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. How many of you feel like you can attain that today? Oh yeah, no problem. Got this, right? Yikes. That one is up there. That's raising the bar. 
Why do you think Jesus wrote this passage of scripture? Why do you think verse 48 is in there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He says it not not because he wants us to fail, not because he wants us to be a failure or feel like a failure. failure. We, we, will, we will never be able to get there, but he wants us to realize that we will never be able to get there on our own. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of a ruler, if you want to say. It's, it's to see how short we are or how tall we are. We measure ourselves up by, by this Sermon on the Mount. Then in his final words on the cross, as Ron mentioned this morning, said, it is finished. When Jesus Christ said, it is finished, we all became perfect in God's eyes. Because the ultimate sacrifice was paid. Now, do we just sit around and, oh, well, if he did it, then I guess I don't have to worry about it? Uh, No. I want us to look at this psalm in two different ways. One, the bar has been raised, the expectation's way up there. God changes us from the inside out. He's looking to produce in us some great and amazing things. Far above and beyond our own expectations, but definitely far and above the world's expectations. And second, whether you're here in the church for the first time or whether you've been here your whole life, we don't want to use this ruler to compare ourselves to others. We want to use this ruler to see how great God is. Not just a goal God's not just a goal to, to try to measure up to. He's a savior. I want you to see it that way. And we're going to ask ourselves four questions today. If we're going to raise the bar, we need to ask ourselves four questions. Number one, are my words helpful or hurtful? Are they helpful or hurtful? Chapter 15, verse 2 says, Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speak in the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Is our speech godly? Obviously, if anyone asked you, came up to you and asked you and said, So, are, are, are your words helpful or are they hurtful? Well, most of us would say, Well, my words are helpful. Obviously, we would all say, yeah, my, my words are helpful. But let's dive in again a bit because the scripture really raises the bar. James chapter 1 verse 26 says, If we claim to be righteous, if we claim to be religious, but don't control our tongue, we're fooling ourselves and our religion is worthless. Yikes. Is this an important question? Yeah. Our religion is worthless. James tells us our religion is worthless if our words are, are not helpful but hurtful. In the eyes of God, if we're reading our Bibles, if we're praying, if we're coming to services regularly, but we can't keep our words, our religion is worthless. We get the big picture. We understand we should control our tongue. But we all have different personalities, right? There are some of us around here that are like the big purple. Does anybody have purple on today? The big, I was going to make you stand up and sing the song. The big purple dinosaur. I love you, you love me. Some of us are like that. We have a tendency to just be loving and be kind and be helpful all the time, right? It's sort of our, our demeanor. But there's many of us who are not that way. A statement is made and the Barney type says that, oh, well, that was negative. We shouldn't talk like that. 
and another person on the other end of the spectrum says, you know what? I was just simply sharing the truth. So what are the biblical boundaries? What does God's word say? Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I want you to understand that there is a time and a place for negative and harsh words. Jesus was not just a bearded Mr. Rogers. He wasn't. God doesn't expect us to walk around like, a, you know, this silly syrupy smile on our face all the time. The Bible is full of examples of sort of harsh and negative language directed towards individuals and many times by name. Please notice I say by name. So many times I hear negative feedback. It's like, you know, I heard one, somebody say that they weren't really happy with the way you're, you know, sort of handled services last weekend. Can I help that person if I don't know who they are? Can't. Can't do it. I want you to notice a passage of scripture, and this one might be a shocker to you. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 14 and 15. Paul is writing... Who's he writing to? He's writing to young Timothy. Look at what Paul writes. He says, Alexander. And just to be clear, not any Alexander, but he's talking about Alexander the coppersmith. Did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. How many of you would you say, would, would, is, that, is that sort of a negative report? Yeah. yeah, a little bit of a negative report, isn't it? He put this in a letter that everyone would read. <coughs> Paul knew that this letter was going to be distributed. Not only did he put it in the letter, but he, he also, this, this letter also made it to our scriptures. And it's permanently there for everyone in the world for the rest of eternity to read. Put yourself in Alexander's position. How would you feel about this whole situation if you were Alexander? Yikes. Paul must have had a good reason. God must have had a good reason. Why did he put it there? I don't believe it's here by accident. God didn't say, oops, how did that get past my copy editor? Poor Alexander, who was slandered throughout all of eternity. Have you come across any of Jesus' rants? Many cases... Jesus wasn't very Christ-like, was he? There's a time and a place for negative and harsh words. Mark chapter 12, verse 38 is one of them. Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law. And some translations add a few colorful words there. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they, they walk in marketplaces. Can you see the little bit of sarcasm here? And the little bit of uh, tone? I mean, I, Obviously, I can't say it the way Jesus said it, but I can't imagine Jesus saying it in a Barney tone. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head tables at banquets, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Galatians chapter 2, Paul tells us about a, a story about when, when he came and corrected Peter. Peter was, had joined in with some hypocrisy with the group that he was with. And Paul came and it says very specifically that Paul 
addressed the situation and called Peter out publicly. There's a place for negative and harsh words. But before you go and pass a negative report, you need to ask yourself, is this true? And am I sure? Am I sure this is true? Just about a week ago, so um, a, a, just about a week or so ago, Dr. Scott Johnson got in front of city council and spoke untruth about Birthline. He visited Birthline, was given a tour, and told exactly what we do. He went to two other organizations in town and asked about Birthline. And they told him the same thing. And then he got in front of city council and spoke the exact opposite of what he had learned. If someone would have been listening to city council when he got up and, and heard those things and said those things, that, that Birthline was practicing medicine without proper license, and then they went to their coworker and their friends and told what they had heard without checking the facts, be in big trouble, wouldn't they? Always check your facts. Always check your source. I think Christians are just as quick to share negativity as the rest of the world. I think especially when it comes to politics, we have a real tendency to just kind of send that right out to all my friends. You know? It's pretty scary. Word to the wise, just because it's on TV, just because it's on the internet, does not necessarily mean it's true. The good old reporter Harold, many times the stories are skewed. Right? They're skewed to whatever they, that person wants you to think. If we don't know it's truth, we've just passed on slander. Slander can take us straight to hell. Don't slip into that one. The reporter found out that his article wasn't true. He had been slanderous. He ran to the wise rabbi and he asked, I'm in big trouble. How do I fix it? Rabbi said, no problem. Two easy steps. What I want you to do today is I want you to take this feather pillow and I want you to go down to the town square and I want you to cut this feather pillow open and I want you to spread it around all throughout town. He's like, okay. So he goes down and he spreads the feathers all over town, all over town square. Comes back the next day and he says, okay, I did that. Now what? The wise rabbi says, now step two, I want you to go back down to town square and I want you to pick up every single one of those feathers. I want you to go and retrieve every single one of those. Well, that's impossible, sir. I couldn't possibly get all those back in the pillowcase or even pick them up. The wise rabbi says, likewise with slander. We can never take it back. Before you go give a negative report, check your facts. Check your source. See how short we are? See how we don't quite measure up to God's word sometimes? We have a tendency to share things that are not necessarily true, not necessarily a wise source to take them from. Next, ask yourself, is this motivated by hurt or a genuine need to know? Why am I motivated to share this negative report? Am I hurt by what's being said? Or is it really because someone needs to know? Never share a story just because you're annoyed, irritated, bothered, angry about it. Why did Paul warn Timothy about Alexander? Because Timothy needed to know. He needed to be warned. We need to be very careful here. This is a touchy subject. Oftentimes, it's hard to put our finger on it. We need to be careful about it. Is it true? Is it motivated by anger or a genuine need to know? 
And, and third, will this make things better or will this make things worse? Will it make things better or worse? Before you open your mouth and give a negative report, ask yourself, does this make things better or does it make things worse? Is it the right time? Is it the right place for me to talk about this? Never ever pick up a grievance of someone else and share their grievance because most likely you'll be out of, uh, out of context. Proverbs 26 verse 17 says, Interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ear. Yeah. Pretty accurate, right? I met a dog this week. It looks like a tank. He's about, he's about this short and about that wide. I mean, seriously, this dog is awesome. It's Cody's dog. His name is Hoss. It's a, it's a little, it's a purebred pit bull, but it's not like a full massive, like big, huge thing. The dog's only maybe, maybe that tall off the ground and about this wide. I wouldn't recommend grabbing Hoss's ears and twisting them. Wouldn't recommend it. Especially if you don't know Hoss. Very important. It's very important to not interfere with someone else's argument. No such thing. So, so let's, let's, let's think about this though. There are times when we need to do a reality check. So we've got something that we feel like we need to share. We've got something that, that someone has done something and it's, it's, they're, they're sort of sliding off the, a slippery slope and you, you notice it and I want, you know, I want to recommend something. I want to re- recommend uh, what I call a reality check. I do this often with Carol. Um, women, by the way, have a gr- much greater intuition and so guys, remember that. Always check with your wives before you go and say something to someone because they usually know better. And you know, like, I noticed that, uh, you know, that, that, that lady that sits behind us, you know, at Syracuse, she's got a really bad attitude today. And Carol comes to me, no, 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 no. I had a conversation with her Wednesday night. She, Everything's good. Don't, I'm like, okay, cool, good. That's a reality check. What I saw in Sarah may have, I thought may have felt it was a bad attitude, but Carol saw it as something different, right? Reality check. It works. If it's a young person, maybe ask their parents. If it's a sibling, uh, you know, if, it's, if the per- person has a sibling, if, uh, if Katie has a bad attitude, ask Brittany. Maybe, maybe Brittany will tell you she's got a bad attitude. But maybe she'll say, no, Katie's fine, right? Wouldn't it be better than going straight to Katie and saying, you've got a bad attitude, you should straighten up your act, Right? It might be better to check in with Katie. Siblings work really well that way. If it's a brother and sister in Christ, ask someone that's close to them. Get a reality check before you use harsh words with anyone. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, It is foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. Mm. The bummer thing is that the, the ones that really need to hear this the worst are like sitting here in the chairs and they're like, yeah, amen, amen. Why are you telling me this? Well, because we all need to hear it. Are my words helpful or are they hurtful? This is a big one. Raise the bar. Ask yourself the question. Secondly, we're not going to spend as much time on this one. Are my heroes godly or are they godless? Chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. This verse is not telling us to disrespect others. It is not telling us to despise flagrant sinners. That's not what we're 
I mean, that's the words. But when you look at the phrase and you look at it, you put it in context. It's not asking us to disrespect people. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect. Who do I look up to is what this verse is talking about. Who do I want to emulate? Who do I want to become like? That's what this verse is talking about. Choose your heroes wisely. Proverbs 29, 27 says, The righteous despise the unjust. The wicked despise the godly. Who do you, who do you look up to? Proverbs 20 and verse 26 says, A wise king scatters the wicked like wheat, then runs his threshing wheel over them. <laughs> yeah, that's probably smart, right? If you find somebody that's not doing the right thing, don't, don't emulate them. Don't follow them. Don't try to be like them. Be like the wise king and threw the, threw the wicked out and ran him over with the threshing wheel. Who do you look up to? Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to emulate? emulate? Who are you trying to become like? We want to raise the bar with that question. Question number three, do I keep my commitments? Yikes. That last part of verse four says, keep their promises even when it hurts. We will notice that in our culture, they will say that only keep your commitments when it's easy for you to do it. Only keep your commitments when, it's, uh, when whatever that commitment is, is still meeting your needs. That's not what this word, verse says. This psalm raises the bar. Matthew chapter 5 verse 37 says, Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything else is from the evil one. God says you could be keeping your commitments. Are you keeping your commitment, commitments even in the small stuff? Well, nobody really keeps track of the small stuff. Nobody really, nobody really even watches for that stuff. Don't, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, no, we do. What about the inconvenient stuff? Well, can you define inconvenient for me? <laughs> yeah. We need to keep our commitments. What about in the painful stuff? Come on, God, give me a break. Can we just lower the bar on that one just a bit? Just a bit? No. We need to keep our commitments. Well, nobody else is doing it. No. Doesn't matter. God raises the bar here. He tells us to keep our promises even when it hurts. Ever notice that people when they RSVP, they don't keep their they don't they don't keep their commitments. You know, you get the RSVPs going on, and you get a whole pile of people saying they're going to come and. Like half of them show up. What is up with that? It's messed up. That's the small stuff though, isn't it? Like why did they stay home and they said they were going to come? Well, who knows? Let your yes be yes, right? Keep your commitments. It's super countercultural. It doesn't happen very often. People don't keep their commitments, even in the small stuff. We hear all sorts of excuses. Right? The dog has a runny nose. Really? The dog has a runny nose? That's why you had to stay home? I've had a lot of excuses given to us um, you know, for, for not coming to church. I should have wrote them all down because they're pretty funny. Pretty hilarious. If we can't learn to keep our commitments in the small stuff, we'll never keep them in the painful. We need to let our yes be yes. I don't know if we know. So how do you avoid a revolution? If you're, if you're, um, if you're a leader and... And you don't want a revolution. You don't want people to rise up against you. Proverbs 20 and 28 says, 
unfailing love and faithfulness protect the king. His throne is made secure through love. This word faithfulness is really uh, more along the lines of dependability. If, if you're in any sort of leadership role, be dependable. It was mentioned at our table that it's, it's real easy to make a commitment to the kids and say, oh yeah, after this we'll do, like after, after we eat dinner, then you can have a snack. Or after, you know, we're going we're gonna to play a game and then maybe we can have some ice cream. Do any of your kids hold you to those statements? I'm like, no, Dad. You said we could have ice cream after we played our game. Right? Be dependable, even in those little things. Don't make that promise if you don't intend to keep it. Same with, uh, same with discipline, by the way, parents. You threaten something and you say, you touch that again and I'm going to slap your hand. If they touch it, parents, you had better slap their hand. If you said it, you better do it. Follow through. As parents, as a boss, if you don't want a rebellious revolution, love them and be dependable. Follow through with what you say you're going to do. I have to be super careful um, with this, especially when it comes to making appointments in my calendar. Um, I've failed many times, um, but I try really hard to follow through. I have to keep a calendar. I have to make sure that it's in there and I have to make sure I have reminders um, because otherwise... um, I, I fail. You know, I always word my responses. I, I try to, you know, it's, it's funny that the Bible is always accurate and always really true. Um, it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Sometimes I'll say, somebody asks me to do something, and like, so do you think you can stop by this afternoon and, and check out something? I don't know, whatever. Check out my fence, it needs to be fixed. Sure, I'll try. You know what that person just heard? Yeah. That person just heard that I will be there no matter what. Right? So to be really careful about how you word what you say. Um, be very careful about that. You want to be dependable. Raise the bar when it comes to your commitments. And last but not least, do I help the helpless? Psalm 15 and verse 5. Those who lend money without charging interest, who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. So let's be practical. This is not dealing with modern day investments. This is not talking about, um, you know, invest your money. Uh, obviously, we see the um, parable of the talents. He tells, he told the the parable with the the, the person the the person that took, got the one talent. He said, at least you could have what invested that money. You could have put it in the bank, and at least I would have earned interest on it. God's not talking about that. He's talking about absorbent, crazy amounts of interest. Well, kind of like charge cards are today, but it's a warning against taking advantage of the disadvantage. Back in this day, there was like 30 to 50% interest rate, and, and the rich people were making money on the poor people. They were, they were lording it over them and making it hard for them. Proverbs 29 verse 7 says, The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Look at this one real close. Leviticus 23. Look at it with me. I think this one's on the screen, is it? Oh, yeah. Good deal. When you harvest your crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. How many of you have a a field that, that you've harvested this year? Anybody? Maybe? A few of us, maybe? Yeah? 
it's not real. We don't have that going on these days, do we? We have tractors that go right to the edge of the field. And in fact, some farmers don't even plant to the edge so that they don't miss anything, right? In our bank statements, in our, in our budgets, in our, in our every, everything is down to the penny, right? How do we do this today? How do we apply this principle to our lives today? Where do we get that margin to be able to allow for the helpless, to help, to, to help the homeless, to help the needy, to help those that, that actually need that help? What does it look like? We don't have edges of fields, so we can't really leave the edge of the field. We need to leave a line item in our budget. Put a line item right in your budget and say, this is what I'm going to leave aside. This is what I'm going to set aside to help others. This is what I'm going to set aside to help those who don't have enough. It could be in your offering. Maybe, maybe you have put in a, a tithe today and you've, you've decided, okay, I'm going to put just a little bit extra on top of my tithe, on top of the 10% that I'm giving God. I'm going to put in an offering. That's what we're talking about. That's the margin, right? Maybe you're going to give to missions fund. Put it right up, write it right on your check. Okay, this is going to be extra. I'm going to put this in extra because this is, this is for missions. Do it. Time is money, so volunteer. Serve with part of your time. You know, leave that margin. How do, we, how do we leave the edge of our field? Do it with your time. We can't get your bank statements out today and show everybody what you're spending your money on. But leave room for the needy. Maybe get your calendars out. How many of you in your calendars, you can pull them up on your phone probably right now. How many of you in your calendars have something this next week that you have planned that you're going to do to help someone? We should have something in our calendars. We should, have, we should be intentional about it. Well, I'm just going to sit around and wait till, wait till somebody asks for help. And I'm just going to say yes when they ask for help. No, we need to be intentional about it. This Old Testament principle in the book of Leviticus says, leave that extra in the field. We need to do the same with our time and with our money. Raise the bar here. Do I help the homeless? I hope so. We've had four questions today. One, are, you, are, are my words helpful? Or are they hurtful? Are you a Barney? We've got to be careful of that, don't we? We've got to be careful. Number two, are my heroes godly or are they godless? Who's your hero? Who do you look up to? Number three, do I keep my commitments? Do you follow through with your promises, even when they hurt? Number four, do I help the homeless? Be intentional about it. Not just with your money, but with your time as well. Be intentional. God's message, your move. You can just sit there and you tell me, well, well I aced this one. This is no problem at all. Please tell me you have room for improvement here. Because otherwise, you're going to be up here next week. I am not in any way, shape, or form acing these four questions. I've got room to work here. And I think we all do. Use these as a mirror. Like that song we sang a little bit ago. It's a mirror. God's word is a mirror. Let's look into these. Let's look at these questions as God's mirror. Let's not use them as binoculars and scope out who's not doing their job. Let's use it as a mirror and look at ourselves and say, okay, how am I measuring up here? We need to realize that the bar has been raised. Not so we'll fail, 
Not so that we always fall short. Not so that we feel like failures all the time. So that we can put in more effort. So we can give God the credit. That's why the bar is raised. I hope that there's been some things that we've shared today that can be a blessing to your life. And um, you know, raise the bar. Psalm 15 is a short one. But it's a very tall order, right? It's way up there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for your attention.